everybody, we are back with part two in our series covering the death and return of Superman. Uh, just over 30 years to the day, in fact, because we are now on the 22nd of November and on the 18th of November 1992, DC published Superman 75, which we discussed last episode, which is the kind of like the central issue where Superman bites it. We've been covering the events that led up to the story in the first episode, and uh, we also uh, we covered some of the events and the circumstances that led up to the story happening in the first place. Um, we sort of looked at what the world's reaction would be to the death of pop, pop culture icon, the mechanics behind why this happened, some of the mechanics behind where this happened, because we're going to get some into more of that today, and also like where the idea came from and... Um, a little bit of the media coverage as well and the media kind of circus surrounding it because there was one uh this time uh we will continue the discussion and we'll have a look at what followed the funeral for a friend arc um we're moving on to the next arc in the death and return of superman which is reign of superman so if you remember from our previous episode we looked at the main doomsday arc which is like the beginning the build the death and then we looked at Funeral for a Friend, which is kind of like a world without Superman. Now we're looking at Reign of the Superman, which uh, we introduced Superman's replacement. So um, I'm sitting here wearing a very fetching pair of yellow shades. Um, Leon is over in the corner. Um, he's half cyborg now. How you doing, Leon? Not bad. I don't know. I, it, I, that's not how he spoke in my head, but I couldn't think of a cyborg either. <laughs> I, I, I feel like he sounded like um, Microsoft Sam. Like, that's how I imagine him in my head. Oh, true. Like the, this is the yeah. early 90s. Yeah. Um, and Marv has this, like, real badass leather jacket and pair of sunglasses. So how are you doing, Marv? I'm totally radical. <laughs> totally radical. Don't call him Superboy. <laughs> yes. So... Um, yeah, here we are talking about Reign of the Superman. So following on from um, Funeral for a Friend, we get these uh, other Supermen start to pop up here and there within Metropolis and around. And uh, we end up with this kind of like, um, what, what will replace Superman? What, who, who can step into Superman's shoes? Who will be able to step into Superman's shoes? Um, now... Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get into this again with a little bit more sort of context. And uh, I want to sort of like explain a little bit more of the machinations that was happening around this time that has caused or has, has born what we are, the comics we're going to talk about as well today. So um, when I talk about sales figures in this episode, by the way, because I'm going to touch on sales figures for comics, these are going to be US sales data because I don't have any UK sales data. No one bothers to remember that shit. So um, I couldn't find... Well, I don't know if... I'm, I'm sure there's someone out there who bothers to remember somewhere, but it's not on the internet because you know I couldn't find it. Perverse about that. These days with video games, one of the only ways for people to track is using the UK sales data because that stuff's not freely available in the US. How things have changed. I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's nuts. Um... So yeah, November 1992 saw the biggest sales day in comics history. So I want to correct myself from last episode because I think I said that the Death of Superman comic, Superman 75, was um, probably the best-selling comic of all time. I was wrong. Best-selling comic of all time. I even knew it back then that I was wrong, but I was basically like biting my lip for the remainder of the episode after I said that. Um, the best-selling comic of all time was X-Men number one. 
uh, from the early 90s. That's the Jim Lee one. Um, and that sold a ton of copies, but we'll come on to that in a minute. So uh, Superman 75 sold like gangbusters. It had the best selling, the best day of sales in comic book history, which was um, it did $30 million in a single day in the US. The collector's version of the issue in the black poly bag and everything else. And then there was like, um, there was there was the collector's version in the black poly bag. There was an alternate cover and then there was the main cover. So we know Superman 75, top selling comic of 92. It sold in excess of 6 million copies. And I'm going to get a little bit deeper here now into, well, here it comes actually, the 90s comic book boom. Um, so for, to fully understand this, we have to have a quick look at Image Comics, first of all, and we have to look at the Image Revolution. Um, this was the founding of the company Image Comics. Um, so Image Comics was founded and that kind of shook the comics industry because it was like kind of like there was a big three now instead of a big two when image came onto the scene because they came onto the scene and they had this meteoric rise and they did so well out of everything that it, it kind of like it really really shook the scenery up so marvel was sitting pretty on top of the comic book throne at this point um i'm talking things like x-men uh, they had Jim Lee working on X-Men uh, in the early 90s. Uh, Jim Lee's X-Men number one is still the best-selling comic of all time at 8.2 million copies. Nothing will ever top that. Um, the stuff McFarlane was cranking out for Spider-Man. So Todd McFarlane, who you all know for Spawn, um, was working on Spider-Man at the time. Uh and uh, it, it was like the rise at this time as well. There was the rise of this extreme art style that seemed to define early 90s comics in people's minds. Extreme musculature, harsh, spiky designs, edgy in nature and looks. Um, if I say the name Rob Liefeld, it won't be the first or last time <laughs> I say it on this podcast. <laughs> the man can't draw feet, we know, but he sure could draw a good pouch and shoulder muscle. Um, so, I mean, this is partially where the design for Doomsday comes from as well. So the villain Doomsday, we touched on this last time. They, the intention of the design of Doomsday was like make him look like an image villain. Um, like legend has it, the brief was make him look like an image villain. And, and this is what the punters wanted, like judging by the sales. Um, and DC were going to have a go at giving the punters what they wanted. Uh, they felt threatened by image and what image represented. There were these top flight artists that quit Marvel to establish Image Comics. So like all of these artists that, that went to Image Comics, like they basically all came from Marvel. All of them just basically got together one day, turned around to Marvel and went, we quit, we're going it on our own. And uh, the story goes that they went to DC and did the same, even though none of them had anything to do with DC. They just decided to walk into DC's office and tell them what they were doing. I don't know why. Um, I think DC at the time when it happened as well, I, I imagine, um, or so the story goes, as I watched the sci-fi documentary about this, uh, DC were thinking, because they set the meeting up with DC, and DC were like, shit, we're getting all this talent from Marvel. We're getting Eric Larson, we're getting Jim Lee, we're getting Rob Liefeld, we're getting Tom McFarlane, uh, we're getting uh, Wilchie uh, Potasio, we're getting Mark Silvestri, and we're getting Jim Valentino, right? And they're like, we're getting all these like top guys from, from like that were basically the reason Marvel was selling so well at the time. Uh, but no, they were just going in there to just like thumb their nose at DC, basically, which is hilarious. Um, so, yeah, uh, they they DC felt really threatened by Image and what Image represented, and these these 
artists that had just quit Marvel. The work was their work was selling incredibly while they were at Marvel. Uh, people were buying these books as investments. Um, the hurricane had made landfall, and comic silent signings had become more like Hollywood meet and greets, especially with the Image founders. Um, again, Eric Larson, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld. It's insane to think about, and it's something that we will never probably ever see the heady heights of again. And like this is the beginning of the comic book boom. So this is this is where Death of Superman fits in as well, because like we said last time, one facet of the reason all this happened is that they wanted to keep Superman relevant. And this is what they were up against. They were up against these hot new artists that were cranking out extreme art that the kids were eating for breakfast. Like kids were walking into comic book stores and they were looking at instead of buying comics for what was inside the comic, they were just looking at the cover going, that looks radical. I'll have that <laughs> because these guys could draw radical shit right it's, it's, and it's like like it's amazing how um it's not just the designs it's just it's the artistry for the most part as well obviously the designs helped but like i remember during that time and looking back on it afterwards as well like my first brush with anything to do with image is todd mcfarlane's spider-man and just the way he drew spider-man i could walk into a comic shop and that would be the only thing i would see nothing else would matter to me because of how dynamic he drew that character and then when spawn came yeah. out i was like i recognize that style and thought about buying it never really got into spawn but love the max blah 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 but that sort of the dynamic um poses and uh, framing and stuff that um mcfarlane in particular but a lot of the people that went on to do sort of independent stuff image stuff the way that they rendered action was different to the other two companies in a way that really caught the eye and again speaking to someone who at the time had no idea about the uh, ups and downs of the industry just the visual flair really got me so it really worked what they were doing yeah i mean they were at the time they were the future um a lot of you know they were like these these hot young artists that marvel had employed they were doing work for marvel and their work was selling really well because it's what kids wanted and they basically took their whole their whole shtick and their whole style and moved it and took it away with themselves so yeah they, they already made a name for themselves they they'd already established themselves and their work was already wildly popular and they were defining the landscape and achieving astronomical sales figures by comparison these days, you are lucky to break 500,000 copies when you sell a comic, okay? So, um, for example, 2021, uh, Diamond reported the number one selling comic book was King Spawn in, in 2021, and that sold 480,650 copies. Put that into context against X-Men number one selling 8.2 million. <laughs> it's just a different <laughs> like, world. <laughs> yeah. It's completely mental. Absolutely completely mental. That's, um, that's, that's like, opening weekend movie numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like just just think about that for a second <laughs> like this is where we're at now that's 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 last year right 480 that's the top selling comic last year and then i'm talking about comics selling in their millions back in the early 90s right you, you're never going to get that lightning in a bottle ever again um it's it's just a confluence of events and things that have brought forth this that brought forth this like this immense bubble that unfortunately popped um <laughs> because it was so unsustainable but yeah this it's, it's the epic bubble the reason the epic bubble formed was was due to a shift in the collectibles market actually so um i'm gonna go back to the 80s now so trading cards more specifically baseball trading cards okay mm. um in the u.s uh from the early 80s baseball cards had started to become vastly collectible and this was because um 
you know, the, the, the supply and demand thing. So these, these cards were produced and packaged with chewing gum. Uh, obviously, it's the same old story that when they were produced, they were just bits of cardboard with baseball players on that you'd get free with your gum. They're fun for a while, but no one really thought about that they had any value. No one really held on to these things. Um, and this was like, uh, I'm talking like in the 60s and things like that, that these were, the people were looking for these these vintage baseball cards from like early days. Um, and, uh, you know, they probably ended up in the bin. A lot of these cards probably ended up in the bin. Um, some people, however, did hold on to them and collect them, uh, the same way people collect stamps, etc. It's it's just a similar thing. Like you end up with preservation of a limited quality, a quantity of something that has a distinct smell of nostalgia about it, and then all of a sudden, these these people that were kids, and and you know, like I guess it, it, history repeats itself in the same way we are now. Like like I will collect, you know, we collect shit. I collect comics. Um, I have like some vintage toys like Transformers and shit. But it's like stuff that was popular when I was a kid and it's like it's like that whole thing of like trying to grab and recapture your childhood and it's very sad. And... <laughs> but you know, like um these people were then going nuts for baseball cards again in the early 80s. Um and uh people got to realize that they people started coveting these cards and then people got to realize that these cards were worth money. And then people are beginning to buy and sell cardboard portraits of sports figures for heck of lots of money. And the boom booms. So like people were traveling the country and stuff like in, in hunting for specific baseball cards. Like people would like set up sales meetings and things and go and stay in like B&Bs and like meet people and trade cards and shit. It's, it, it's like this whole network of just like baseball card hysteria. Yeah. Um, and the boom booms and the boom becomes a gold rush. It was literally a modern day gold rush, like to the attic, like the nostalgia collectible market then began to spread into comics when people started to take notice of high value auctions. So there'd be high value auctions for specific baseball cards. But then because of these high value auctions for specific baseball cards, people started to take notice of other things that these auction houses were dealing with, specifically comics. And that's when the nostalgia market began to spread into comics. Right. So um, you'd have these big um, auction houses like Sotheby's selling copies of Action Comics and Detective Comics. So Action Comics number one, Detective Comics 27, first appearances of Superman and Batman, respectively. Right. Uh, the prices of these books began to fetch attractive media attention. And, you know, the media were covering this like, oh, you know, do you hear this copy of Action Comics sold for X, 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 X amount of dollars? Like and, and this would be all over the news. In Sotheby's, you know, a, 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 this this big ass auction house handling, you know, pop culture nostalgia stuff, um, and yeah, the rest is just kind of like history because once the media get hold of it, the people start to see pound signs, and the people then start prospecting in the loft, <laughs> um, you know, digging for gold, yeah, uh, and that's that's where it all comes from. That's that's how it happened. People began to. Um, the, the kindling was lit. People began looking to comics as investments. People began to looking for old landmark issues, first appearances, things like that. And of course, though, publishers began to capitalize on this, on the speculator market by creating numerous variant covers for like a, for a single issue, like a new number one. Um, that issue would sell out massively because people were buying to speculate. So because people knew that key issues from the past were now valuable people were looking to the new stuff that was hitting the stands and thinking well that's a new number one 
if I buy that and hang on to that, that's going to be worth something someday, just like those other ones from the 20s, uh, 20s, what am I talking about? From the 30s and 40s, mm. right? Yeah. So this is, this is where it all comes from. And then we end up with like the, um, the, the, the kind of like the industry begins to capitalize on this by, by releasing uh, commemorative editions billions of variant covers embossed gold covers you know all that like, all that weird stuff that you remember from the 90s like these foil <laughs> yeah, covers the with holographic embossing foil on and, yeah <laughs> holographic foil covers commemorative trading cards all of that stuff right all of it that's that's where all of that comes from and people were buying this and like hanging on to it like oh i'm gonna pay for my kids college tuition with this and you know all of that kind of rubbish and well guess what you ain't paying for shit because <laughs> because that book ain't worth the paper it's printed on now i'm telling you um so yeah it's uh it, it just oh like they just they just you know it attracted media attention there was this whole big thing uh it was just, yeah, it, it, people buying to speculate, basically. And then along comes Image Comics and the hot new thing with all these, they're the hot new thing with all these new series and people are buying up their number one issues, number one issues of Image Comic Books. And for a while, I think for a single month, when Image first started, they outsold DC. So for a single month, it, it, they knocked DC off the top of the sales charts where they should be with Marvel because normally it's DC and Marvel at the top. So because Image gave DC a black eye, basically, DC was starting to get worried. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it put more pressure on DC to do something to stay in the game. So here's like another way of looking at it, at looking at why Death of Superman might have happened. So, I mean, you could say it was driven by the 90s sales boom. You could look to the reasons that I gave last episode. I think it's a confluence of things. I err more towards what was going on when I was describing what was happening in the first episode of this, we did with like all the pressure from uh, Time Warner and everything to do things in a specific way because of specific projects they had on and so on and so forth. Um, like, so the shock death of a character that will shift copies, right? Well, it did. And now obviously we're buying, people were buying copies on copies of the stuff thinking they could hold on to it as a retirement fund or whatever, but that's not true. Like, supply was meeting demand and the market was being saturated collectors items are only collectors items if they have a rarity about them and they are in limited supply uh the more times you print something the less it's worth mm. so because they can't like it's so because they they can't you know they can't download up and demand a high price from someone if there's eight million of it out there you can't turn around and say this is worth this much if there's eight million other other copies of it floating around out there so yeah, um, like, for example, uh, like the Jim Lee, who was one of the co-founders of Image, like he published variant comic variant covers for comic books through his Wildstorm Studios imprint. And uh, his issue number one of Gen 13 had like 13 different covers or something silly. Uh, and each had a uh, we each had a character in homage to a comics book, an advertisement or a movie poster or something like that. Um, and he just, um, he did like eight different covers for DV8 number one. There was a group shot and then the rest of it was like supposedly representing the seven deadly sins or something. So yeah, and that's it. And then like 
So obviously, you know, like coming full circle back to the, uh, the baseball cards, then comics started publishing with trading cards. So, uh, yeah. And here we are looking at reign of the Superman, looking at DC trying to sort of desperately do something to kind of stay relevant after killing Superman and thinking, okay, what will sell copies? Let's go for like a trillion first appearances of characters that might not even make it or stay in circulation let's go for um replacing superman with these new supermen and let you know and, and see see how they sell and things like that and and let's uh let's see if we can sell comics because these new supermen are going to be a little bit more edgy a little bit more badass a little bit more willing to do what superman wouldn't and things like that and let's see where that goes you know so yeah uh here we go so um reign of the supermen which is kind of like the bulk of the comics that we're looking at for this ish, uh, episode, um, encompasses action comics 687 to 688, uh, Adventures of Superman 500 to 502, Superman 78 and 79, uh, Superman Annual number 5, Superman the Man of Steel 22 to 23, uh, and Superman the Man of Steel Annual number 2. Um, those annuals are the... Are the, uh, the the ones that are part of an event that I will start talking about later on in this episode as well. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into it. It's Drek. <laughs> uh, I, 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 got, I got really, really scared. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I was going to make you read it. Yeah, I, 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 no. I haven't even mentioned its name because I don't want to put any ideas in your head. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> There's a reason I've not read it. Uh, well, I have read it before, but there's a reason I've not, I'm not digging really deep into it. And, and there's a reason I'm not making you read, read it. It's, it's the same thing with uh, some of the Nightfall stuff we covered. I'm suffering, so you don't have to. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, here with this section of Death of Superman saga, we're getting to see sort of a snapshot of DC trying to compete. Um, I actually feel that these books showcasing these four new, new Supermen who appear in the wake of Superman's death are fairly well put together considering. Um, I mean, we've already discussed how Funeral for a Friend completely outweighs the actual death of Superman quality-wise. And this kind of only adds to that. Although it's not as strong as Funeral for a Friend, it just it only adds, it doesn't take away. Mm. Like, from the short shark shock of Superman's death into the thickening source of the morning to follow, and then this, his replacements. So it, it, it's like the story gets, in, gets more and more interesting as we go on. So um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw to you, Marv, to get your thoughts, first of all, overall on Reign of the Superman. Um, I, the thing is, as you said, it's, it's um, something that adds to it without it being sort of uh, feeling unnecessary. Um, I overall enjoyed it, um, rereading it um, almost with fresh eyes, because this is the part of the uh, whole Death and Return that I remember the least. Um, obviously... Uh, big affinity for Superboy. Um, I remember a lot about Cyborg Superman, but mainly for the Green Lantern related stuff that comes later on down the line. Um, so yeah, a lot of this introductory stuff um, had just completely leaked out of my ears. So it was um, nice and refreshing. And as you said, each introduction, um, a lot of what happens with the characters as you go through it is really well done, apart from some of the stuff that ties in with uh, the storyline that shall not be named. Um and yeah, there's, there were there were a few big surprises for me um, going back into it with almost fresh eyes. Like um, for some reason, I think because 
with Cyborg Superman, there's so much emphasis put on like, oh, the DNA matches, oh, he's got some of the memories, blah, blah, blah. In my mind, and especially with Lois sort of thinking, could it be Clark? In my mind, Cyborg Superman appeared as like Superman with full skin and then was revealed revealed to be a cyborg later. But I think I just kind of took the emotional beats of, oh, people think he's actually, he might be the actual contender because he talks the most like him and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was a shock for me. And like, I completely forgot that Superboy is born knowing he's a clone. I thought that was a big reveal in his standalone comic later on as well. So there's there's little touches that um, knocked me for a loop reading it, um, not for the first time. But yeah, okay. it, it, it kind of reads like Night Quest if Night Quest was actually fun to read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Night Quest if Night Quest was okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of it, some of it is subpar. Night Quest, though. Oh yes, yeah. There are there are moments in this where I was sort of like I, I glazed over. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leon, can we get an overview from you about your kind of thoughts on Reign of the Supermen? Yeah, and how you feel about like how it fits in and things like that. Yeah, I echo a lot of uh, a lot of Marv's sentiments, but my original connection to to it first time. It's a lot less stronger. Like, I think I know about the events of these books intellectually because of like editor's notes and them just being part of the law than actually having read this part of the uh, Death of Superman saga. So I, a lot of it was like new, but I guess the journey to each thing was new, but then where things sort of end up or how characters archetypes are is stuff that I knew. So like what you're saying, Marv, with uh, Superboy, he comes here like fully formed in a way that I wasn't expecting reading it uh, on this occasion. He's, he's, a, I thought that he, you'd have the introduction and cause this, okay, here's a, here's an anime reference for you weebs out there. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I was expecting, because he gives off the vibe, and in my memory, he gives off, like, a Gotenks vibe. Yeah, 100%. Where it's, like, this super-powered kid, he's older, <laughs> but, like, super-powered kid who's a bit reckless and thinks he's a complete badass and uh, needs to learn some lessons, needs to mature up before he can fully yeah. um, get get to his, his great potential and has... Now you're going to know what it's like to fight a real yeah, Kryptonian. Yeah. And I'm not talking about <laughs> Superman. And like, uh, like through the course of his interactions with various people, whether it be Steel or like other, uh, like Prime Superman, uh, he matures up, and then by the time he gets his own run, he's like doing his own thing, but he's a bit uh, wet behind the ears and blah blah blah. But here he's just like good to go. He just stepped out of the vat. Got his jacket and glasses. <laughs> well, he, he, we see him acquire the glasses, don't we? But like, uh, yeah. he steps out of the vat and he's like good to go. He's quipping. He's uh, not respecting women's boundaries. Like, he's just out there. He, yeah, he, he begins his campaign of sexual harassment in earnest. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy's a, a monster. But like, uh, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, that was kind of surprising to me because with, with uh, Steel or Man of Steel to begin with, uh, we get a bit more of a build-up origin via like, I don't know, just spending more time, like flashing back and in a bit more in interiority of the character. So it feels a bit more conventional in, in terms of understanding 
the head state and yeah. why. Because I mean, literally, we have still voicing over like reciting sort of like what happened to, with Superman saving him and him building his, uh, his suit and everything. But yeah. um, yeah, the Superboy thing was kind of like whoa. <laughs> Like, have I missed something between the two things? Like, he's just he's just there, and, and like, it makes sense thinking about this is the way like it often was, where when you think about like way below the fold, uh, DC and Marvel characters, and it's like how were they introduced? And it's like th this person who's now big was introduced during I don't know Fantastic Four uh, issue two hundred and fifty, and then uh, and which they had like this character hung out of Reed for two pages and then suddenly now this character's like got their own thing and they're the type of characters that you see in the replies where I don't know you're a couple phases into your comic books movie universes and people are like oh where's blah 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 oh, we need blah 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 <laughs> and people have been saying that since the second movie and you're thinking to yourself what like that makes sense for like a CW TV show where you're on season seven and you're like oh you're scraping the barrel but not in the negative commentation of it but like when it's like you're two movies in and people are like yeah where's this super niche character you're like huh <laughs> and uh like in the current mcu we're kind of a a approaching that thing where like marvel's so big where we're suddenly like getting tv series is for like characters that like i've never heard of and like well i'm not the biggest like uh kept up with the capes i'm still like I mean, I've heard about most of these characters before they get like a TV show. How are we getting a TV show and a movie of characters that I've never heard about? But I digress. <laughs> uh, it is kind of like interesting that you can just do that with this series where it's like, okay, Superman's off the board for now while we like sort of rebuild the hype for Superman to, to bring him back. So what we are going to do is we're going to distill certain elements of Superman whether they be like physical or emotional or about the general concept of, of, of Superman. And we're going to divide it out into these characters and play it out in a different way. And that's a very compelling and interesting concept. But I think it can fall prey in these series of issues to the kind of comic book nonsense pejorative, <laughs> parenthesis, um, where... <laughs> You can you can kind of get in the weeds in that uh, night quest kind of way where it's like, okay, one issue, okay, this is really cool, this is like a compelling thing. Where's it going? And they sort of wrap things up a bit, and then next issue is just like, huh, why are we spending time doing this? And then you get all these like, just random side characters who don't have superpowers and stuff, and like, they're like the trivia. They probably they probably got like a Marvel snap card or something like that. Where you're like, oh, this person was in this issue, blah, blah, and they saved some puppies, whatever. It's like, cool, okay. Like, what are we doing here? I want to see what's going on with this main story. And the main story already has some banana stuff going on with uh, Australian Lex Luthor 2 and Tana Moon and all, all this like other random stuff that are actual main characters. And then we're spending time with these, like... yeah. Uh, no, these extras, <laughs> these NPCs, <laughs> and uh, it is kind of like dizzying. And then another issue, yeah. you're back in it, where it's like, okay, this is this is quite uh, like it's cool to see the characters interact. Uh, like one of my favorites, not to get ahead of myself or, uh, or to dive in too much at this uh, this juncture now, but I really like the, the the first proper interaction between like Steel and Superboy, 
with mm. like the helicopter stuff like that is like really good hit hitting at the sort of core concepts of what both of these characters are and what their elements of like the superman like mythos or power um are and i, I think that's as quite cool but then other times it's just like okay like i think i can't remember if this was on cast or pre-cast where Marv, you said something about like speed reading almost on some pages <laughs> where it's just like, okay, what are we doing here? So like overall, uh, it has, it has some like fun moments and I, I don't regret reading it um, in the sense of uh, I may have with some of the Batman ones <laughs> that we experienced <laughs> in the past, but like, I, I feel like it, 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 it hits very much some of the weaknesses of maybe looking at this from a cynical point of view in terms of pumping up to hype Superman's return and stuff like that. Like, I think that there's almost a push and pull between, or there's a, a feeling of a push and pull between the writers just want to do in their, just want, wanted to do this cool story and the commercial responsibilities of setting up for what's, what's coming that you do I know it, you do kind of feel like a tug of war between a really compelling story breaking down what Superman means and what the absence of a Superman, a world without Superman, like what that actually is like and what happens in that vacuum and how different people and different personalities react to that and how all these people adjacent to Superman who knew him, how, how they deal with it to like, let's create new action figures and possibly new characters to sell comic book lines. And also let's hype up the return of our, of our number one IP dude. So yeah, it's, it's, it swings and roundabouts, but neither of those things are as fun as they could be. Like the roundabout doesn't go that fast and the swings doesn't, don't go that high. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did like the various covers that they did. Cause they did like a, um, so for like the reign of the supermen uh for action comic 687 um man of steel 22 um superman 78 and adventures of superman 501 each one was like an introduction to one of the four new supermen mm. um and they did like a range of covers like so for each one it had a cover that kind of like highlighted elements of that particular superman design by just giving you the um the superman um symbol and then like uh some kind of like uh, color indication in the background or something like that which was pretty cool um like the steel one for example is red with a shiny steel superman logo in the middle that kind of thing mm. um adventures of superman 500 which is where all of this kind of kicks off um which is the one where uh you know you you get superman spirit being dragged back through Korea by his father or uh, or you know his father trying to going through a, a war-torn Korea looking for his his son's spirit <laughs> uh, for Clark's spirit um that one comes with trading cards <laughs> uh so you've got like the um the the four new supermen sort of like revealed in there with like the trading cards of what each one is and then like uh you've got like a little bit about each one so um which if any, is the real Man of Steel. And they're also, they're like using the Bloodlines logo on this already, by the way. Oh dear. So this is the event that we didn't want to talk about or mention, but the Bloodlines logo is there on, on the, you know, like on this kind of like the bit of text that comes with these cards that came with this issue. So 
Which, if any, is the real Man of Steel? Number one, the superpowered teenager who appears to be cloned from the first Superman. He must be a clone. Why else would he have no memories of a private life? Number two, the cyborg from space, half machine, half alien. He proclaims himself a Superman retooled for the future, and no one has the guts to contradict him. Number three, the steel worker, John Henry Irons, buried alive during Superman's battle with Doomsday, who, like a man possessed, uses his talents to create a high-tech suit of armor and weaponry to literally become a man of steel. And number four, the cold super being who sets up shop in the Fortress of Solitude and relentlessly takes the law into his own hands, even if it means he must shoot first and ask questions later. So yeah, so like these four modern supermen that DC are obviously trialing at this point, like they're like, okay, so in, in a similar way to uh, writers on Batman books replacing Batman with Asbat mm. to appeal to this new market of kids that want Punisher, but not, right? Mm. <laughs> Um, we've got these four modern supermen. We've got a fascist, a young punk, a cyborg, um, who I am absolutely petrified of. <laughs> like, I think, I think that cyborg Superman is what happens when the paperclip gets a body. You know, the Microsoft paperclip. <laughs> That's what happens when Clippy, Clippy finally, like, makes it into the real world. We get cyborg Superman and we're all fucked. Um, you've got, um, you've, you've got this, uh, this kind of like more down to earth version of Superman, who's like a little bit Iron Man, a little bit Superman, who we can attach some pathos to. Like he has the capacity to fail, which is something that was missing from the original Superman. Hmm. Um, so that's like an interesting idea for them to play with. Um, and the most interesting thing that that is the most interesting thing about Steel that like is how human he is. Like. Um, and then you've got like the last son of Krypton who literally takes no prisoners like Azrael to Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, like in fact, do you know what he is? He's like a proto version of every kind of, um, edgy ass, edgy ass riff on Superman that we've had in comics since. Yeah. Mm. So like, he's kind of like a proto version of, um, the dad in, uh, invincible, invincible. Yeah. Mm. Like the Homelander, yeah. See every like dark Superman, yeah. Every yeah, every like ultra fascist dark Superman, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's the last son of Krypton, my boy. Is that who it is? Last son of Krypton. So like, he literally takes no prisoners. He's like Azrael to Batman, like, and and then you've got like this Superboy that you don't you dare call him Superboy. He's too he's he's too cool for that. He's Superman. He's fucking 15. <laughs> he's a teenager. Like, the, the point of him is, I guess, he's a teenager who can have teenage problems. There's, like, the Spider-Man angle they could go at with that, yeah, right? Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's why he ended up going up against him in the Marvel versus DC before Amalgam, innit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you know, he can be rebellious and he can wear a leather jacket and shades and he can do teenage boy things. And he can be, in my eyes, a time capsule parody of every 16-year-old boy everywhere. <laughs> you know, like, he, and, and then you've got this mysterious cyborg who, you know, like I've said, is literally Clippy if Clippy had a body. <laughs> <laughs> He's like this, this weird-ass cyborg patriot who's like, I am the Superman of the future. You know, like, he's, he, I, I imagine he talks in this really weird monotone, like Microsoft Sam style. <laughs> um, and 
yeah so you know here lies superman and these guys are kind of dancing on his grave quite literally <laughs> testing ground for new ideas yeah. <laughs> cyborg superman ideas. drops out of the sky and just like burns up the memorial plaque that's in the ground <laughs> i know and fucking last son of krypton literally steals his body <laughs> <laughs> usurps his home starts ordering around his uh his, his workforce <laughs> yeah you know like uh like it, it's um it's ghoulish when you think about it that way really <laughs> but there you go um so yeah these these sort of things that mirror put what other publishers are doing in dc's effort to stay relevant um, like, namely, Image to this point had, had given DC a black eye um, by climbing above them in sales for a whole month. So, obviously, they're going to take notice and look at what Image are doing that they're not. Um, and, you know, we end up with trading cards, we end up with hollow covers, we end up with new edgier characters. And it's interesting to see these different ideas play out across the Superman landscape. And you do begin to actually miss Superman proper. And when you look at it like I'm looking at it, from like, I, I'm, I'm looking at this like square plan view, top down. Now, like, I'm, I'm reading it and enjoy, and, and you know, enjoying it as a comics fan. But like, when I'm, I'm looking at it now, objectively, plan view, like, it, it's interesting to see these ideas play play across this Superman landscape. Like Clark Kent, uh, you know, like you begin to miss the actual Clark Kent when you read about these characters, and you begin to realize, like, it, it's very much like um, its successor, Nightfall, in a way that things just aren't right, and you get a sense of how important the balance that Superman struck as a hero actually was to the world he inhabited. Mm. Um, and like, like, um, like Leon was saying, there's some really cool moments, like the moments with steel and uh, Superboy with the helicopter getting destroyed, like Superboy endangering people, whether, whether by choice or not, you know, in, in chasing his own kind of fame and fortune and, and, you know, everything else that you know like tana moon who he's clearly smitten with and everything like he's ended up just basically putting people in danger needlessly which is something the real superman would never do mm. um and and to us for us as fans as well we we get to use these these characters like lois and, and jimmy and every, jimmy olsen lois lane etc we get to sort of see through their eyes and we get to inspect and interrogate these characters through their eyes. So we get to have a look, we get to use, they get to be our avatars and we get to kind of inspect this world and interrogate those characters through their eyes. And then, and then through that as well, we get a sense of how important Superman actually was. Um, we get to see their shortcomings and their failures. We get to see them compared to Clark Kent by everyone and anyone. Um, like we get to see their coldness and we get to see that it's instantly off kilter. Like it's wrong and there can only be one Superman. And we get to inspect what it meant to be Superman and what it meant and what Superman meant to these individuals and his impact and legacy, which is quite interesting when you look at it that way. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I, I quite enjoyed the introduction of these new Supermen. I quite enjoyed looking back through it as a time capsule of early 90s comics and I quite enjoyed seeing uh, DC play with these different ideas and things. And, and it, it was a weird time for comics, like I've been explaining. Like, you're never going to get anything, any kind of confluence events like this ever again. And on a, on a global scale as well, like fans, because I mean, although like most of the media coverage you read has got like the cynical teenagers there going, oh, you know, um, 
we just think they're going to kill him and bring him back in a month or whatever that kind of thing like a lot of them a lot of the media coverage you get doesn't it's, it's almost like they can't find one superman fan it's not very balanced at all most of the news reports i've watched are people that couldn't care less <laughs> uh <laughs> about superman but like there is a media circus surrounding it because they they built it up and they hyped it up and they they built up the idea that this was going to be a landmark thing happening in comics mm. and and thus the comics sold and sold and sold and it fed this machine which produced more stuff for people to eat up and buy and prospect on thinking that it might have been you know um worth something in a few years and things like that and it's just an interesting thing an interesting time um and and watching how how they they come up with these ideas and just throw them at the wall just to see what sticks um and there's like little things in 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 these comics as well which kind of like allude to things we're going to discuss next episode because you've got superboy don't call him that <laughs> uh with his um his like media deals and things like that. Um, so what we're going to come on to in the next episode uh, in this series, when we actually close this out and we discuss like the return of Superman um, is we're going to get a little bit into like the legacy of the event and uh, a couple of things, namely a video game and a movie that almost was, but never was <laughs> two of the most interesting things to come out of that. And Superboy is playing a video game in one of the issues there's a little bit of kind of like stealth marketing there you've got superboy playing the death of superman video game did you pick up on that no i missed that yeah he's like sitting in his apartment playing the death of superboy uh, death of superman super, uh, video game <laughs> um and it's like the foreshadowing in the marketing because that game came out in 1994 mm. so these books we're reading are like 1993 that game was released in 94, so it was probably in development back then when they were making these comics. And they probably knew about it, and they probably dropped it in on purpose. I'd like to think they did anyway, because it's, it's just too, too much of a coincidence otherwise. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, it, it's this, this, this foreshadowing and marketing, like, and this worldwide media coverage that's not just because of Superman, but because comics have been propelled into the limelight because of the speculator boom, like I keep saying. It's like, it's a chain reaction. One feeds the other. Um, and I think it would have made headlines anyway without that, without the speculator boom and everything else. But I think the media did pour a lot of accelerant on it. Mm. <laughs> and uh, that fire was roaring. And I think the news coverage of the large comic sales in big auction houses and things like that drove everything to come and drove the fact that we are now seeing these new supermen appear because i think in the plan to follow the death of superman i think there was probably always going to be a pretender or two but i don't know if it would have been carried on like this if not for you know them needing to try things to stay relevant and think about, well, let's increase sales by creating these new Supermen that might appeal to people more than the old Superman. So, yeah, I mean, woven into this section of the comic as well, um, into this sort of section of the, um, the event, as it were, the, the reign of Superman, um, is the infamous Bloodlines crossover. 
um so which you you brush up against it in a few issues that come under reign of superman um these shall we say are like the weaker end of the reign of the superman stuff um the bloodlines event itself um it it, it reeks of desperation so, like, woving into this section is like this Bloodlines event, this crossover, which you like, I mean, don't read the whole thing, guys. Really don't. Like, I'm talking to you guys as listeners. Don't read the whole thing, please. <laughs> you, you will regret it. It's horrible. <laughs> if anything, it's symbolic of DC's desperation to compete with what was out there. <laughs> and it's the dawn of what we will call the extreme age. Like, in the dawn of, in a, in the dawn of what we call the extreme age of comics, like, this, this is it. This is DC trying to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and it it really does reek of early '90s. I I can't I can't stress that enough. Like you've got these aliens that feed on juicy, tasty spinal fluid, and they come to Earth, and they're these big, bony-looking, extremely spiky, touch of the old xenomorph type things. Um, they have the xenomorph m- like mouth inside a mouth thing that shoots out and drinks spinal fluid from people's backs. Um, and they basically feed on people. And their whole thing is they've come to Earth and they're just, they're just feeding on people. And, and, and who's going to stop them, right? Because they're these like horrible aliens that look like part horse skeleton, part bat. Mm. Yeah, I don't know the way of describing it. Um, I mean, it's a cool design. And when I was a kid, I probably would have thought it was like gnarly as fuck. It's almost like, um, but, you know, uh, when you had those um, weird, really weirdly marketed aliens uh, figures in the 90s. And they had all yeah. of the different animal variations. It's as if a horse got impregnated with a xenomorph. This is what would come out of it. <laughs> yeah, like the, the 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 I remember the bull alien that you could make it headbutt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the the bat alien queen as well, the alien queen with bat wings. Yeah, with the flapping yeah. wings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, yeah, so those toys, but not. <laughs> so like it wish.com nineties alien action figures in the DC universe, drinking spinal fluid. I think, I think that's the best way I can describe it. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, so in doing this, in feeding on people, obviously um, this is DC getting to introduce some new characters now because what they're doing is they're like, okay, so we need like first appearances and things because this is what people end up buying and eating up. It's like, oh, there's a new a first appearance of a new hero. Maybe that's going to be worth something one day. Um, so what happens is these these things when they're feeding on spinal fluid like occasionally they'll hit a, a human with a dormant meta, metagene and they end up activating that metagene and creating a few new superheroes a slew of new superheroes i shouldn't have said three i shouldn't have said few i should have said a slew because there's loads of them and these heroes are real zealous shit like <laughs> <laughs> like and, and this crosses over through pretty much all the DC annuals that were being published around this time. Um, and also acts as a bridging point between Nightfall and Death of Superman because some of this actually creeps into the Nightfall event. As you'll remember from some of our Nightfall conversations, you'll, you'll recognise some of the names that I'm going to bring up. <laughs> so the heroes um, that are created end up calling themselves the New Bloods. Okay. Um... And the event itself carries titles like Bloodbath and Deathstorm, like subtitles like Bloodlines Bloodbath or Bloodbath. And then there's one, there's like something like Bloodlines Deathstorm or something. I don't know. Like, and it's, does any of that sound 
like anything else that was happening at the time to you guys. Like, <laughs> can you can you see what I'm getting at here? About how this is like a Z-list version of things that are already on the market being produced by other companies. Oh, you mean like the the, the names that like some of the image teams had and stuff like that, or? Well, well, yeah, like n you know, like these these are definitely not to be confused with, and definitely not to be inspired by Image Comics' Youngblood. Oh God, no. <laughs> like <laughs> Rob Liefeld's creation, Rob Liefeld's creation. Like, I will get his name right one day, <laughs> and he will be able to draw a foot when I do. <laughs> um, like. <laughs> So yeah, like not to be confused with any of that, like, you know, and, and the, these heroes, the, the new bloods themselves and the powers they have, like, I mean, let's, let, let's take a look, at, a look at a couple that turn up through a section, some that really stood out to me. So we're going to have a look at a couple from the list. So the first one that I want to look at is a hero called Edge. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally called Edge and I've picked him purely because of his name. So do you guys remember Edge? Not at all. From no. Superman Man of Steel Annual 2? The the blade hurling community hero Edge? No? Oh, is this the is this the, the one that looks like um Spike from the X-Men? Yeah, so this is this is the, the, the bodybuilder who's like training with um Steel. Mm. And then ends up getting his spinal fluid drank and chucked in a sewer into a pile of dead bodies and then wakes up covered in knives. <laughs> and can't remember who he is. Um, and yeah, his design is literally just—he's just spikes. Mm. Like that's his thing, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's weird. Like really weird. Like I, I'm not into it. It's—it's it's a. I—I I mean, so let's let's play boom bust. So, it, it when I when I dis, when I talk about these characters, if you remember anything about them or you remember what they look like, you can give me. Um, I might ask you for your opinion whether it's a, a hit or a miss or a boom or a bust, right? So, Marv, Edge, boom or bust? Um, I'd say bust, given that I <laughs> almost completely <laughs> forgot him after seeing him. Like, I forgot he had a name. I remember seeing him. I remember reading these issues, would, but like, his name was Edge. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> would uh, would um, would would primary school Marv enjoy Edge? No, no, not at all. Not my no. speed. No. Leon, that's a bust for me, bro. Yeah, <laughs> would would primary school Leon have enjoyed Edge? No, the thing is, primary school Leon uh, only liked a small portion of that type of extreme era comic book creations. Anyway, so yeah, he like I wasn't super into the edge edgy stuff like that, and I definitely wasn't into it. I wouldn't have been into Edge. <laughs> it's um, it's weird. There's like a certain, like a niche, uh, like a Venn diagram almost of um, though that that sort of design that appealed to me, and a lot of it fell into yeah. what happened with X Men characters in the nineties. Because like when I think about characters yeah. like Edge and characters like Savage Dragon and the Image Comics and stuff like that, like I was more taken with like how Omega Red was drawn in the nineties in the comics and like Cable. Cable was probably the yeah. Cable was probably the closest I got to like the whole Rob Liefeld pouches on the thigh style and thinking that that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Cable's a cool design yeah. regardless of his thigh pouches, not because of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is me as well. Like I was I was like it, it, that the 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 Venn diagram of the like extreme age of comics and early nineties comics and Greg is X Men. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's that's where it overlaps. Like that was my my experience of it was X Men. Mm. Um, 
that was the stuff I was into. And that was my, if there's any extreme artwork I actually enjoy, it's, it's because it's in an X-Men comic <laughs> and it's an X-Men character. So yeah, you're right. Um, one day we'll have to re we'll have to, um, have a look at some of the early nineties X-Men stuff. Maybe I don't know. I'm game. Um, yeah. X-Men is yeah. my jam. So a hundred percent. Do you guys, do you guys remember from, uh, Nightfall? Do you remember a character called Joe Public? <laughs> I remember Joe Public. <laughs> 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 oh good so joe public is one of the um the new bloods hmm. uh joe public um he's this gym teacher who um one of his kids was killed by bad ecstasy or something and oh is he the he duke up... newcomb looking one yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he can i think he can absorb powers he can absorb strength from people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he has energy absorption and power absorption. So, yeah, the Duke Nukem-looking guy who um, he's in Gotham to kick ass and chew bubblegum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got the... Uh, I really thought you Mer- were launching into and he's all out of bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He's, uh, he's got a, a leather jacket He's got he's got the blonde flat top. He's got the the big single lens shades. <laughs> um, he's got the leather jacket with the Murrican flag all over it, and then he's got Murrican flag and eagle shields on a t shirt underneath that. He's got massive stars jutting out of his shoulder pads. He's got a belt buckle with a star on it. Um, he's like a parody of something like I you know if Saturday Night Live did a parody of like the um the dare just say no to drug shit yeah. and they wanted a superhero in that parody this is what i imagine an snl creator would do <laughs> like i think come on dress like this <laughs> like that's that's how i imagine the sketch um so joe public marv <laughs> boom or bust i want you to i don't want you to Take what I'm going to say as like a full endorsement. He is more of a boom than Edge was because the idea of calling a superhero Joe Public, making him a community hero and giving him the power to gain strength from the people around him is an interesting idea. Overall, yes. though, he's yes, a bust. He's a yes. good idea that yes. is a bust in um, execution. <laughs> I, think, I think the name Joe Public is so fucking lazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, like I am. I, this is one of those characters where I think it's like four o'clock in the morning in the meeting room, mm. and they're all just kind of like heads on desks, screwed up bits of paper everywhere. Um, and then one guy just kind of like wearily gets up, drinks the rest of his cold coffee, and then just writes Joe Public on a whiteboard. <laughs> like that's that's where I see this coming from. Leon, Joe Public, boom or bust? I'm gonna go bust but yeah what what marv said i'm gonna echo that in the sense that i do love how on the nose all of that is especially for a a character who's there around to scold people to not take drugs like uh i do love like every element is just it's it's like there's no sincerity. There is obviously this character's pure sincerity. I'm assuming, yeah. but like, there's there seems to be in creation no sincerity to this character. Where it's like, yeah, exactly. Let's just turn everything yeah. up to eleven. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's literally it. Like th- this character is eleven. Like when you look at him, like he he is the embodiment of the dial being cranked past where it's supposed to go and then falling off. Like the, the shades are reflective right. on the sides. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like those star shaped shoulder pads myself. <laughs> like that that does it for me. That might be the best part of the fit, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to the next one. So this one, um I don't like the origin of this character. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's um I think it, it goes into shady, shady places. This is Myriad. <laughs> oh yeah, Myriad. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Uh, Myriad is um, early on in the death of Superman. Um, Lex Luthor's doing his training against a couple of um, like high-grade karate senseis, um, and uh, he get he gets beaten by one, and his his fragile ego takes issue with that, and he throttles the girl, like strangles her to death, and then dumps the body. And then what happens is um, she's not quite dead and she's lying in this like Lex Luthor waste dump and one of the um, the aliens finds her and drinks her spinal fluid um, and then she becomes Myriad. So... Um, and these are... Yeah, Myriad... Yeah, man. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Um... So yeah, Sasha Green was Lex Luthor's combat instructor, and um, yeah, he 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 got annoyed because she beat her, she beat him, and it, it cracked his ego a little bit. So he killed her. Um, and now what she can do is she can steal other people's identities, like she can absorb identities and become those people for a while. Mm. Um, and she's an assassin. Um, and uh, yeah, so thoughts on Myriad Marv? It's like a it's like if mystique and rogue fused together and became just a really icky character with an icky backstory also um really funny because i can't remember what year batman returns is but this is just like almost panel for panel selena kyle's um backstory in that movie michelle fiverr's catwoman's backstory i think if i'm right batman returns was 92 oh there you go was it was it 92 leon uh on the spot i'm gonna say yes (laughs) Okay, right. Well, if we're wrong, we're wrong. No, I, th- I think you're onto it. Um, it just, yeah. it didn't, it didn't yeah. feel, I didn't feel 100%, but I'm pretty sure it is 92. Mm. Yeah, well, I-, I tell you what, if we're wrong, we're wrong, and you've got a whole new place you can come at us now. <laughs> hive. Because <laughs> 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 so I set a hive up for Ace Comicals earlier, so yeah. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, he's... Um, I think I think the big thing because yeah it, it's just I I really hate her origin story it's it's really icky it it goes to some really naff places I don't like it mm. um and yeah I mean I'm a, I, the character concept is pretty cool just why why is it got to happen that way <laughs> you know uh, Leon what do you think of Myriad so yeah like origin aside which is like lame but in a way like part of the course for like this era. Uh, I do like how Myriad is designed to look as like a, almost like a tribute or to look a bit like Cynthia Rothrock, 
who's like uh, yeah. you know the martial artist who was quite big in the 80s hmm. um yeah and like uh and she does myriad does kind of carry like a bit of swagger to her and she's she's quite savage like didn't really properly go over it but basically get someone to like kill themselves yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Almost yeah. like she's got like the voice from Dune or something like that. <laughs> yeah, she's um, she's a very very cool character concept, and uh, I'd feel like she'd be more at home as an X Men character. Yeah, mm. like I think she'd make a sick mutant. Yes. Yeah. Um, so like based off the merits of the character herself and her like evil deeds and stuff, uh, but acknowledging her like awful backstory, I'm gonna go with Boom. A controversial boom. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, Marv, boom or bust for Myriad? I'd have to agree. Like I said, um, as you said, uh, fitting right at home with the X-Men, she does have big rogue mystique vibes. And um, yeah, I, I, I do love that moment where she's just like, you can't say no to me, I'm linked. Put the gun to your head, pull the trigger, do it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I do, I do like it. I do like that that um, when when she's got her powers and she's out and about, like I like seeing what she can do. I think she's probably the coolest of the ones that I've got on the list here. It's just a shame about her icky ass backstory. Man. <laughs> well, yeah, because right. it's really nuts. Like... It's like she's the fridge cat that didn't die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the last one on the list. Um, this is another one from Nightfall. Uh, this one is called Ballistic. <laughs> Does anyone remember Ballistic? I remember Ballistic because of how ridiculous <laughs> Ballistic is. <laughs> yes, Ballistic, also known as Kevin Mao. Um, he had his, uh, his spinal fluid drank and he woke up looking like a Rob Liefeld creation. <laughs> <laughs> He's got, like, um, red armoured skin. Um... And he's, you know, he's fast. He has enhanced senses. Um, he's got jutting out big, spiky black hair. Lots of pouches. Um, walks around nearly naked now because his skin is armor. Apart from like these kind of like weird green straps that he wears to make him look like a video game character. I mean, so how like else? Armor brief. How how else are you going to mm. fit pouches onto this character? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, he's wearing, like, chaps. <laughs> like, when I look at his character, he's got, like, these green chaps on. Um, and then he's got, like, a belt and a pair of green pants. And then he's wearing some shoulder pads. <laughs> so, and he's got, he's got, like, one of those weird, you know, those weird, like, headband triangle things that everyone used to wear at this point? Yeah in the comic yeah like yeah that that weird kind of like headband triangle thing on his head <laughs> um I'm sure the only person to ever probably pull that off is like gene gray or something yeah i was gonna say gene gray and yeah. gambit like the, the yeah obviously the, gambit, yeah, yeah. yeah the the yeah. headband slash head sock thing <laughs> yeah they're like almost balaclava but with space for hair <laughs> like what's that about <laughs> um I think even uh, um, the Eradicator wears one of those, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of up, up to the necky <laughs> sort his... of thing. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I knew he was giving off vibes for a character. that I, I was trying to put it. It's, it's fucking Cyclops. <laughs> it is. 
Yeah. He looks like Scott Summers. <laughs> just with just with um, a visor that allows him to express himself a little more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um so what's that character called? Um that appears in um I'm gonna I'm gonna say like the lowest hanging fruit for where you guys are gonna know him from. Deadpool two. Um dies and green blood goes everywhere. The movie Deadpool Two. Dies and Green Blood goes. Shatterstar. Oh, oh, in the airplane sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah the air jump sequence. Yeah. This this guy has big Shatterstar energy. <laughs> <laughs> ballistic Ballistic has big Shatterstar energy. So yeah, he's like invulnerable and, and he has like increased speed and, and everything else and he's like, you know the ultimate He's a he's a um he's a oh he's a mercenary as well. He's in the grey area, so he's like got a little bit of edge about him. He's like, I do shit for money. <laughs> like um you see, you saw him in Nightfall having that conversation in a rough bar somewhere, didn't yeah. you? Was he wearing like a big trench coat to hide him, hide like his skin as well? At sort of that, that point, that right? rings a bell. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't hide his weird arms walking skin. around yeah. naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doing the whole uh, um, Raphael undercover thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So stupid, What is it with all these anti-heroes? Everyone still knows you're a turtle, man. Everyone <laughs> knows you're a turtle. <laughs> What is it with all these anti-heroes and like carrying like massive guns? That's just in the early nineties. That just seemed to be the thing. Like that's that's the nineties. Big massive like hand yeah, cannon. Yeah. Not even a pistol. Massive hand cannon. <laughs> I'm an anti-hero. When the aliens are awry, and they suck your spinal fluid like it's a big pizza pie. That's the nineties. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Oh, I'm, I'm gonna... happy Rahul wasn't here. Too, I was man. literally about to say I'm going to roll my eyes on behalf of Rahul right now. <laughs> I'm scared. I... I couldn't help myself. I'm scared he'd yes and it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting on that for half an hour, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, ballistic boom or bust, Marv. Oh my god! Um, it's 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 such a big bust that you might be able to hear the shockwaves from the other side of the ocean. <laughs> um, yeah, this this bust has its own six issue event. Leon <laughs> <laughs> uh, Boom or bust? It's a bust for me. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't resist bringing in some of the Nightfall stuff, so I had to get Ballistic in there. And I had to get Joe Public in there, but yeah, those were the few that I picked out. But there's a whole massive list of them. And uh, you're going to get more of them. I think some of them pop up in the Return of Superman arc, uh, arc as well. Mm. Um, because Bloodlines is happening concurrently with that. Um, and Bloodlines culminates in... Um, I think the event is called... Bloodbath. Uh, <laughs> Fine. That's great. I like that. Yeah. And um, it's... it's <laughs> yeah, it, it, basically, apparently they weren't just stealing the spinal fluid to sustain themselves they actually were trying to bring back some uh some big bad evil alien thing um something called the taker they were feeding something called the taker and uh it, it um it, it comes and it attacks and every you know everyone gets involved what? try and beat the taker hmm. uh the cover of bloodbath number one 
um, has Asbat on it. Hmm. And he's fighting side by side with mulleted Superman. So there you go. <laughs> How's that for a slice of 90s pie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, we're, we're not going to look too much, de- too much more deeply into Bloodlines. And, and blood- I'm not going to cover that because it's a car crash of its own. Um, but yeah, so that, that is basically Reign of the Supermen. That, that's basically what it covers. It, it gets into um, a lot of this, this it has like this kind of like brush with this other concurrent event. Um, at its core, it is DC trying to keep up with the Joneses, but also trying out and testing new ideas um, with these various different Supermen and, and actually doing something really interesting in like these different Supermen representing facets of Superman actual. Um, but kind of like a shattered Superman or a, a kind of like diffuse Superman across Metropolis. And then doing this interesting thing of examining Superman from different facets through the eyes of different characters, mm. um, which I quite enjoyed. And I think it's, it's, it's good for that. And it's probably, although it's not the weakest portion of the death of Superman arc, we've already discussed that we know the weakest portion is the build. Um, but I, I still think that it's, it's not as strong as Funeral for a Friend. Mm. Um, but I, I still, I still quite enjoy where it's going. Um, and obviously the next, the next part of this is the victory lap, <laughs> which is Superman's return, which is actually really cool. There's some actually really cool stuff in that. I'm reading that now. Mm. Um, rereading that now in prep and I'm getting stuff ready for it. Um, and there's actually some really cool stuff coming up in that and some really fun things. Has anybody got anything else they would like to add before I close this out? Um, I, I wanted to expand on what you were saying about the, the different facets of Superman split across the characters, because it's kind of like, yes. and especially when you were saying through different lenses, because it's like you've got yes. Steel, and it's like Superman, the way people view him, the way the people of Metropolis view him, that's what Steel is. Um, yeah. The Eradicator, literally called the last son of Krypton, and you only you, half the time you see him in the Fortress of Solid, Solitude, it's like um, Kal-El's Kryptonian side. Um, yeah. And then with Superboy, you've got like a um superboy as a kid so you've got like the 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 going back to the beginning uh, the sort of smallville but what if he was in metropolis instead of growing up in smallville and he was big-headed and he was basically your average city teenager <laughs> but also with with yeah. that you get the facet that is superman and the media um yeah and then with um cyborg superman at least from what we see in here not like expanding onto him as a character across time but in this story it's um superman and the government mm. <laughs> Yeah, so so literally, cyborg Superman, Superman as a tool. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Superman as a, as a tool of the government in in you know, and and Superman as the the ultimate patriot. Mm. Um, the Eradicator is the Kryptonian, the alien. Yeah, you're right. Um, Superboy is the ego and the media view, and the kind of like the the, the global view and the globalization that Superman represents. Mm. Like the global brand of I was going to say Superman the brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the Man of Steel is the spirit of Superman. Mm. Steel is the is the spirit of Superman. He is like the embodiment of of what Superman means to the people, like you said, and the the the, the absolute embodiment of the best qualities of Superman. Mm. I think I think out of all of them, I think Steel is the the truest of them all. Yeah, he's got the heart. To what Superman represents, yeah, he's got the heart. And also, he's I like... he's the one who's notable for not even attempting to be like I'm the new Superman. Yeah, he's just like, I never said I was yeah. Superman. I just wanted to do something, mm. <laughs> you know, which is really nice. I like it. I like Steel. And I, I like that Steel endures as well. Mm. Like, he, he um, 
I think he uh, he's actually still going now on and off in some stories. Mm. So yeah, came into his own. Yeah. Yes, um, he he has he probably has just the the wildest ride backstory wise as well in this comic. Um, the yeah. one thing that I, I um, that really sort of like was zipping around in my head as I was rereading this was like there are so many like not like oh movie references as if, as as in oh we're definitely going to reference this movie but just like so many echoes of things that i'd seen before it and that came out after it because like um during Steele's intro you've got like a drive by shooting on a young black kid <laughs> just out of nowhere i turned the page on like holy shit they killed that child um but you've got it it, it, yeah. it it felt like watching a 90s hood movie for like like watching boys in the hood you know something like that um yeah you've got like um <laughs> and then not long after that when he makes the suit i was like because obviously the running joke for steel for anyone who knows anything about him is like oh it's like superman but he's iron man but literally he's in a basement and he's making that on his own with a box of scraps in a basement yeah. and, and yeah. then you find out that like the whole reason that he has like this like tortured past is because he used to be part of a weapons manufacturing company <laughs> and he feels bad that his weapons <laughs> fell into the wrong hands so he got into a robot yeah. suit and started blowing up terrorists like <laughs> holy <But> shit also <laughs> also he might be related to the legendary man who beat the machine yes <laughs> yeah um i can't remember the name of the guy that this like american folk hero what was his name? I can never remember if is he literally called John Henry Irons? I can I can never remember if it's John Henry or Henry uh, Henry Johnson because like they they use both names for him. Yeah. But I can't remember the folk hero's name. I, it, they say it in the comic. I'm sure American listeners. Yeah. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. The American folk hero that beat the machine um, driving, uh, like um, rivets. Is it like driving rivets? Yeah. For building railways. Mm. Um. Yeah, so yeah, I mean he's he's got the heart, he's got like he's the true American superman. <laughs> uh yeah. So Leon, anything else to add? Yeah, I've got a got a few few things that I wanted to hit that didn't really didn't really fit in anywhere particularly. But um uh shouts to Ronald, up and comer at the Daily Planet. Hmm. Yeah. Ronald taking Clark's chair, yeah, yeah, <laughs> taking Clark's desk, which I, I thought was quite interesting. Like we don't really spend too much yeah. time, but it it is, um, yeah, it it is funny. It does feel like um, like you're seeing a lot of this. I mean, still kind of feels like part of it as well, where it's just like yeah, uh, trying to like populate the universe with a few more uh, like people of color but from like from different angles and because certain things are like the whole street thing like those movies were getting bigger and obviously uh that hit that level of hip-hop was getting bigger so like having the milieu of like a steel uh like you could see that because a lot of the comics that we read from this time as well they have a lot of the stereotypes of like um the like gangs and stuff as well so like for better yeah. and for worse you can see sort of the popularity and, and appeal of that whether it be like yeah. what was going on in the culture or what was going on in the news but then like you got like so St still has a super respectable background because that's how they counter it and then also you have ronald on the other side who's like yeah when I mean, we got in the daily planet so there's like an interesting thing go like going on there where it's like um uh not like a sea change but like you know you see bits and pieces of them trying to like open up the world again um as like because this i mean 
this is part of a wider conversation, but there was a lot of it's weird how cyclical things sort of become because, like, I think in, in the early nineties um, was also like running the like like Hollywood got really big into like funding like African American movies and there's a lot more African American TV shows and stuff on like prime time and then that kind of like falls out of favor in, in ways and then obviously comes again in like the aughts and then comes again. And so like, it's funny when you have people like complaining now that are oh, woke, blah, blah, blah. And they're like changing all the characters and stuff like that. And it's like, cause it's just cause there was no Twitter in nineties. Like I'm, I'm sure people wrote to, yeah. I don't, I don't know where they would have wrote to cause it wasn't in the comic book, but like when like, uh, Lando Calrissian is now, um, Harvey Dent in, in Batman, like, uh, <laughs> There was no Twitter for people to to complain about, or no YouTube for people to make stupid videos. I'm sure that there was still like a contingent of people who these are the types who would have wrote oh. to let letters to the editor and stuff. Of course, but yeah, but it's just funny because they're it's not new. They're, these things are not new, but mm. it, it, everyone always like approaches but, these as like a new a new thing. Yeah, mm. and this was the thing about comics being gatekeepy back then because these conversations would have been the ones that were happening around the till in the comic yeah machine. yeah. And that would have like made people uncomfortable and not want to go into the store. It's, it's, it's just funny how like it, it's not new in these things. Like, what was it for? Was it Batman Forever? Like part of the no, no, it's for. Was it for? Is Batman Forever or Superman Lives? One of those projects. Obviously, one happened, but like it's part of the idea of the casting. No, I think it was. I think it's prep for Batman Returns, maybe, where mm. it's like they're thinking of casting. Um, was it Marlon Wayans? One of the Wayans brothers as Robin. And th that's a thing where like back forward, back uh, go forward in time to the aughts. And obviously like now where you have people complaining about like, Oh, like the race bending. Da, da, da. And it's like, that's the thing that just could have happened. And it, it didn't happen just because they decided to go a different way. Uh, like, yeah. it's, it's just funny. It, like the point of what I'm saying is not like back then people were cool with it. It's just more, it's, it's funny that those same things just, uh, well, these these people didn't have a platform. Yeah, well, as loud as they, as loud like on as they are now. Forum or something like, but like, um, yeah, 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 it's just like these things are so cyclical. Like, what's hap what happens now is not new, and like these things are like work yeah. agendas, blah blah. It just had a different word. It was called political correctness before, or mm. blah blah blah. And it's just like it's so tiresome, but it's just funny how uh, that stuff is just it's just not not new in terms of like, oh, let, let's let's uh, change up the casting on this one because this. Uh, this movie's looking a bit pasty. It's like, they just didn't, they, it's just not a, not a thing. It's just like, people wanted to yeah. go with who was hot at the time. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did blah, blah, blah. Hmm. But anyway, that, a... I know, continue. Well, no, I was just going to say, um, not just that they didn't have the platform, but um, the grift wasn't as strong back then. Like you couldn't, you couldn't yeah. start your own sort of, I mean, the equivalent of a YouTube channel or, you know, a zine or whatever that would get, you know, however much engagement that like just being a guy sitting in a basement complaining about woke um, comic book female heroes in movies, you know, and doing like 10 minutes and one second so that you get the ad revenue from YouTube yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's like there was no. They did ha they had their own. It was all like they were in echo chambers. Hmm. They could have the conversations, but they were only having the conversations with like-minded people, and you didn't have to read it or weren't privy to it. It was always there. It just bubbled under the background, and then Twitter was kind of like the um, 
the steam release hmm. <laughs> when when things like social media came around and youtube came around that's like the steam release and now all of a sudden it's out in the air hmm. so someone just basically just dropped a funnel into a, a like a, a thing into it to release the pressure kind of thing and that's that's yeah yeah and now we've all got to read it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whether we want it or not and it's just there all the time hmm. but um yeah, yeah that, that's just i don't really have too many deep thoughts about it. it's just uh, uh yeah. an observation yeah. that i had uh, also, yeah. uh, there are some like just ridiculous like lines in there. I didn't, I didn't going to go too deep in this because it's 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 kind of like part and parcel of the of the time. But there's yeah. some ridiculous like Superboy. My favorite line is when he's like chest choking when he's talking to <laughs> Supergirl and he's just staring at the symbol on her chest and it's like, okay, dude, okay, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's the uh, the worst. The worst Superboy line for me is yet to come. Um, that I think it's in the Return of Superman bit. In um, in my defence, for anyone listening, because I am I was a big Superboy fan when I was growing up reading these comics. <laughs> the rhetoric calms down a lot once he goes to Hawaii and gets his own sort of like corner of the world to protect. <laughs> in these comics, they're, they're going full on into like this is what his personality is. He's a horny kid. He's a horny kid. No boundaries. No boundaries. Once he settles down and him and um, Miss Moon have their little will they won't they's. It gets a lot more readable, right? I'm not some yeah, kind of. I'm yeah. not condoning characters who grope. Yeah, because he's chill women. in Hawaii. From the pics I've read from there. Oh yeah, yeah, totally chill in Hawaii. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that, but then... that's the Superboy I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then when he's when he's on his way, um, it, him. I'm not going to spoil too much because we're going to talk about this on the next episode. But Superboy, um, Superman, proper Clark Kent mm. and Steel. And uh, they're all on their way to uh, the West Coast, uh, to Coast City. Mm. Um, and they're on their way there. And uh, Superman says something. I think I screenshotted it and sent it to you guys. Superman says something about a full frontal assault. Mm. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, and then Superboy's like, oh, I wish it was uh, Michelle Pfeiffer or something like that. <laughs> like, oh. Uh, what a cringe lord. Um, <laughs> and, and then... Uh, uh, Another one I want to point out, it's like, obviously this is like early 90s and stuff and you've had like the first Gulf War, but like Kurok terrorists is, it's like if they made 24 in the 90s, that's what one of the bad guys the would Kuraki be called. Like, yeah. Correct. Like Quran and Iraq or Iraq, as they would say. Like it's, yeah. it's so on the nose. Like correct. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's awful. Correct. Like, oh, I was like, yeah. are you kidding me? Dude? That's so, so ridiculous. That is, that is did, somehow... you, did you enjoy oh, no, I was gonna reading say about is... how Cyborg Superman saved Bill Clinton? Did you enjoy... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is there so much Bill Clinton in these comic books, man? <laughs> oh, I love. He was the guy back then. I love. Uh, he was the. He was in charge. I love the scene where um, you're in. Uh, what's that guy's name? Superman's best friend that saves the puppies and names Crypto. Oh, Bibbo. I wanted to say Bilbo, and I'm like, he's not a Hobbit, but um, 
No, when they're in the scene where the you're in his bar and everyone's getting into a brawl because they're like, no, Superboy's the real one. And it's like, oh, we all yeah. know that Superman's a proud Republican. And you're like, oh, my God, why are you <laughs> opening this box? <laughs> you want fights in comic book shops? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no politics in comics, no. Marv. There's no politics. <laughs> never has we'll, been, never will yeah, be. <laughs> the, one who, the, one, the guy who says that Superman's a proud Republican is a clear eradicator fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he also pumps his fist for everyone's favorite lantern guy gardner <laughs> the guys who get stuff done yeah yeah um <laughs> I, I there's sarcasm there in case you couldn't, in case you couldn't detect it. there's a lot a lot of disclaimers <laughs> in this episode <laughs> <laughs> um yeah what's the name? Uh, bibbo whatever yeah. i hate that guy man <laughs> i love bibbo like he does one base thing which is save the puppy but like uh what I am flipping back. One of those supermen should have thrown her into the sun, stupid woman. Like, Why is she throwing like, puppies in the water? Like, I don't want to watch them starve. Like an old lady. Like, so, chill. Yeah. Yeah. That's so she's like. That's the one time. Where, that's suffering. the one time where you're like eradicate her. Come down. You, you do your thing. Do your thing. Yeah. 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 Turn her to ash, <laughs> yeah. man. Like she's like she's like chucking the puppies in the water because she's like I can't bear to watch my baby starve, so I'm just gonna kill her. <laughs> Come on! Like that is that's a so, wild thing. Like round, like <laughs> yeah. And then, then she gets the cheek to be like, uh, "Oh, you saved one of them." Blah blah. And it's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. She has not atoned. I, I yeah. want justice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like this is the yeah. 1890s, and there's like there's puppy shelters like around every corner in Metropolis. I can guarantee you. And even if there yeah. weren't, you could literally just release them into the streets. They could eat garbage and live and some eat- kind of life. Drown the puppies the dog... as a mercy kill. Jesus. She's her face no, melted. <laughs> drowning's not even... How is drowning a mercy kill as well? Drowning's a horrible way to die. Exactly. Like, so, so, yeah, he, so like, he saves the puppy and he names the puppy Crypto, Bibbo, with well, a he, he, t-shirt. He, that and... happens accidentally, doesn't it? Because it's like... Mm. He's, he's a cheapskate, is how it becomes Crypto, isn't it? He wanted to call him Krypton, yeah, yeah. but he didn't have enough letters on the... On the, uh, the, the um, the collar it felt felt like so a printed crypto. felt like a Jason uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt at the end of uh, Dark Knight Rises. It's like a it's mm. like oh we couldn't fit all the letters onto the dog tag, so we had to take one off. And he turned to turn it to the camera. Oh my god, the character that we've been following was Crypto the Wonder Dog the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the cop was Robin. His real name is Robin. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I hate, yeah, so I hate they, like Bibbo. What he did was cool, but yeah. I don't like him. <laughs> yeah so so he called the dog crypto and then for the rest of the comic crypto gets nft like no fucking time <laughs> it's a setup man it's a setup <laughs> excuse my puns please um i'm on one today uh so, so yeah like um i think that about wraps well, us well, up for uh, I, I ain't thing. done i ain't done oh, oh you ain't done you ain't done how Carry can on, we go this but and not talk about the sleazy union guy jeb <laughs> making the moves on Lois Lane like what screw oh, that dude yeah. but why is he a union guy as well okay dudes so, come on <laughs> is this the guy with the ponytail yeah 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 Ugh. he sucks Clark would never have a ponytail he just lets it fly through <laughs> mullet or bust it's like sliding in <laughs> making the moves trying to be a shoulder to cry on get out of here man so Can you imagine handsy. Superman with a rat tail? Yes. Imagine Superman with a rat tail. No. <laughs> like, you're so handsy. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Brony. Yeah. Like, how have we gone off? We, we got, like, up and comers like Ronald. Man, like Ronald. And then we got, like, Jeb. Yeah. 
<laughs> Jeb. Come on, man. Even the name Jeb. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Ugh. And then... Uh, and even... Uh, I, I like that Jimmy can't stand Yeah, him. yeah. Jimmy's, <laughs> Jimmy also Jimmy's has issues. gatekeeping there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah. never going to be in his shoes, man. Get out is, of here. Is Jimmy like a level 12 orbiter or something? <laughs> is that what we're saying? <laughs> no, he's so... He, he's like... Uh, He's there to keep any of the barbarians at the gates. <laughs> like he's he's friends only not for himself, but for the memory of Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my my one final point, and this is that happened really on in the book, and I was like, oh, of course, this is where we are. Is <laughs> when <laughs> turn the page, like guy gets shot. It's like they wasted hype. Pop some caps. Come on, dude. I, I was I was I was <laughs> screaming. Like every word every every speech bubble for the first like three pages of this like like story arc. I was like, oh my god, like this is this is the most 40-year-old white man wrote black characters in the 90s that you could ever read. This is so like I, I know you're aware of boys and hood and stuff. Just press play on the VHS, man. Like, <laughs> like just steal a line from there. Like, no one's out here saying yeah. pop some caps. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about Toastmasters? Oh my god! <laughs> Sounds like a JML guy. Someone, <laughs> someone, someone heard that they they call guns heaters on the streets, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, what's another appliance we can use that wouldn't get us into too much?" Toastmasters. They, they, the they, JML Toastmasters. Yeah, they're, they're packing brevels on the streets. <laughs> Lock up your toasties. <laughs> yeah, man. Meet me, meet me at the park. I got a trunk full of Brevels. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, th those are my bits and pieces. They didn't really fit anywhere, but I felt like we couldn't leave without uh, throwing some shade at people like Jeb and stuff. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Jeb deserves everything he gets, and we can throw some more shade on him in the next episode <laughs> as well. <laughs> Because Jeb is a sleazeball. He's like taking advantage of Lois in her lowest moments. Like, she's she's just lost Clark. And Jeb's there, like, you know, like, oh, she's all weak and vulnerable. <laughs> like, trying to slide in and just be like a slimy human being. I We don't like Jeb. I, like, as a final, final thing, um, I completely forgot, but I was like glancing at my notes, just double checking that I hadn't missed anything. Knowing what you know, what we know about Cyborg Superman outside of this comic, but even without, it's like, it's really like, all he does is break into government agencies and like the highest levels of government and just look at stuff. Like, he's like, where are you keeping Doomsday? Where are all the records at Cadmus? I'm going into this room. I'm putting my plug sockets into this wall. I'm going to download all of the national security data that the White House holds. Like, what are we doing? If he was an <laughs> alien, we'd all be dead right now. <laughs> well, spoiler but we nearly all were. i was gonna say like again knowing <laughs> what we know about him but geez man like they all yeah. just like oh he's got a quarter of clark kent's face i guess open up all of the uh the basement records like why don't we uh, let him in area 51 while we're at it like... yeah yeah <laughs> the um the thing the thing that we're missing here as well was terminator 2 around this time yeah it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh dear there you go mm. he's a t-1000 <laughs> no um <laughs> I'm going to call it I think for the remainder of this series now for the next episode we shall refer to him as Clippy because <laughs> he's so terrifying <laughs> but yeah um, 
Cyborg Superman, the cold, terrifying Cyborg Superman. <laughs> um, sentient Windows 95. Yeah, so uh, are we Are we finally done? Have we all said what we wanted I to said say? My piece. I think my tank's cool. empty. Nice. Yeah, so uh, let's end it there and uh, retire to our respective fortresses of solitude. So that has been Ace Comical's Death and Return of Superman Part 2, where we have discussed at length reign of the supermen alongside a load of context about what was happening at the time in the industry and why we maybe got this and why this probably exists in the form it exists um so i hope that has been enlightening for some of you and uh, yeah you'll be able to join us again for part three part three now will be in the new year so uh we're going to be doing after this the next episode we do will be our christmas special and then uh, you can rejoin us in january for part three of Death and Return of Superman. New year, new mullet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> new year, new me. <laughs> I'm not going to say that wasn't part of the reason for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> new year, new Superman, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, that has been Ace Comicals. You can find us um, everywhere that, you know, like there is... You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find everything we do at www.acecomicals.com. We're on Twitter for as long as Twitter exists. Um, last days of Krypton at this point, I guess, isn't it, guys? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're still there, you know, um, hanging on to some hope. And today we sent off a, um, the... Uh, we, we sent a child off in a rocket um, and uh, that kid landed on Hive. So uh, we're also on Hive as well uh, now. So you can come and get us on Hive if you want to. Uh, if you want to um, comment on anything that we do or, you know, message us about any thoughts you have about the things that we've talked about today. Or even if we've got something wrong and you want to correct us, just come at us with it. It's fine. You can find me on Twitter under at Bato. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? Find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Uh, Marv, where can we find you? Um, on Twitter, at Marvin Lafayette, and on Instagram, MarvLafayette84. Yes. So, uh, thanks for joining us. That has been Ace Comicals. Ace Comicals, over and out.